Let's be turning to the letter of Philippians again. Last week, you remember, we felt the Holy Spirit lead us to use the letter of Paul to the Philippians as an opportunity to highlight four major issues that can be seen in this particular letter. You remember the four major issues were the centrality of the gospel, the character of humility, the experience of joy, and the expression of gratitude. So last week we talked about the gospel being the central place in Paul's life and the necessity of the gospel being in the central place in our lives, not just an issue or an activity or a thing we believe in or something we do at particular times. But it is to be the very undergirding and very breath and very context, very atmosphere of our life as we are saved in Christ. The gospel is our life. And to the extent that the gospel is central in us, the power of the gospel will be bringing forth in a greater way the character, essentially, of humility more than anything else. The central virtue of God, the humility of Jesus. That virtue in which every other work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is the result of. Everything of the Holy Spirit being accomplished in us through the Humility, if you would, of the Holy Spirit to be in submission to the will of God, the Father, and the Son to come to serve us. And as he engenders and matures in us God's humility, he creates in us the soil, the nutrients, the opportunity, the context, the atmosphere, the whatever to bring forth all of the character of the Lord Jesus and issue forth in every and any ministry that he so desires. And to the extent that the character of humility is being developed in us will be the extent that the character of God is developed in us and the ministry of the gospel will be seen in us and will be demonstrated through us to a lost and a dying world. This morning... We want to continue with using Philippians as a sounding board to talk about two other issues concerning the gospel. And that is this. The gospel is experienced with joy. The experience of the gospel is joy. And the expression of the gospel is gratitude. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Father, what a privilege it is to know you, to begin to come to understand you, to have fellowship with you as Phil prayed this morning, to be able to call you that greatest of all names, Father. In all that it means, in all of its power, in all of its goodness. 
So we say this morning, Father, hear our prayer and cause your word to become in a greater way the very fabric of our being. So, Father, we may be what your heart wants us to be. Clear, compelling demonstration of what your grace really is. The joy of your being, the goodness of yourself. Thank you for this, Father. Use these words of this mountain of clay to speak forth your great word. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last several weeks, not just the last several weeks, but especially over the last several weeks, I've had the great joy of sharing in the office with certain men and women issues in their lives as they have experienced the real result of worldliness and sin, and that is total deterioration and destruction of relationships. And we've talked about these things, and I remember asking this question this week, asking this question a week ago, and asking this question about four weeks ago. And I asked these Young people, but young isn't the key, anybody. I ask them this. If we had to boil it down to just one answer, maybe even just to one word, what are we looking for in life? As we look for more money, why are we looking for more money? As we look to renovate our houses, why are we looking to renovate our houses, right, Al? As we look to further education, why? As we look to be married, why? As we look to do anything and everything, what motivates us? What are we looking for? I remember I asked a particular young man that just the other day. Tim, what was your answer? I can't hear you. One more time so they can hear. Happiness. 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 That's what we're looking for. Now think about it. Think about it. Everything of our life is probably boiled down to happiness. Matthew, I'm just saying hi to you. I hadn't seen you for a long time. Hello. You can wave back. It's okay. We're Pentecostal church. It's all right, occasionally. <laughs> Once in a while, give me the freedom just to wave to somebody who didn't see. Where are you at? It's okay. This is a family. Those of you who are visiting, we're a family. We love one another. I think. Happiness. If you were to ask the new believers in this congregation this morning, I see one over there. Over here. And if I begin to look, I'm going to see several. But those who have been just saved within the last, let's say, six months to a year, they're going to tell you that the single most basic thing that has occurred in their life is that 
that for which they have been seeking, they have experienced happiness. The Bible calls it joy. Contentment. Satisfaction. Meaning. So I'm just saying happiness because that's what the world connects with, don't you see? But the Bible's word is joy, and although there are some translations that do use the word happy, so I think it's okay to say that. Now, where is joy found? You see, because the pursuit of people is for meaning in life, meaning that comes from joy or happiness and contentment and satisfaction and well-being and all of those kinds of things put together into one word. And the real issue here, the real understanding, the reality of joy or happiness or meaning or contentment comes in only one place, from only one source, and that is from the gospel. It's only from the gospel. True and lasting happiness or joy comes only from the gospel. You remember in Galatians 5.22, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, that's the fruit of the Spirit, love. And then he gives us eight more words to give us the understanding, the, the greater fullness of what this word love means. And the very first word he says after love is joy. The gospel's love, God's love for us, comes to us through this great experience of joy. If you have not experienced, felt the joy and the love of God in you, I believe you cannot say you're saved. You see, because the gospel does not do just cerebral work in us, I believe it first does a heart work in us, which then, begin, then begins to be understood with our minds. It's joy. Remember what the Apostle Peter says? Joy, unspeakable and full of glory. We used to sing that, Phil. Remember that? Joy, unspeakable and full of glory. That's a good song. Got to let Matt know that. I remember from my life, the thing that overcame me or the experience that overcame me immediately, that was the foundation of changing my life, was not doctrine, and we're strong on doctrine, but was this, the joy that flooded my being from God. It was the opening of the door so that God, so that all that God had and all that God is could then be ushered in through this gate of joy. When we look at the, Paul's letter to the Philippians, we see that joy is a significant aspect of his emphasis. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. And as we look in Philippians, he uses the word joy, at least in the New American Standard Version. And I would hope in yours the same number of times. Sometimes a word is translated a little differently with another English word. But he uses the word or refers to the word joy six times 
Six times. And I think I have them listed in your outline. Again, thanks to Evan May for making these outlines a little nicer looking for you. Any complaints, see Evan. Any congratulations, see Evan, for the way it's constructed, not for the content. That's my fault. Philippians 1.4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all of you. Do we pray with joy? Philippians 1.25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. Philippians 2.2, 2, make my, what, joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Philippians 2.17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Philippians 2.18, you too, I urge you, share your joy with me. And then finally, Philippians 4.1, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, you see this man's great affection for this church, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. This church was Paul's joy and his crown. So we see that the initial experience of the reality and presence of God through the gospel is joy. It's the very foundation experience that we have to have so that we can be a people who will be able to live forth and receive and to give of the gospel. So what is biblical joy? Where does it come from? Joy describes, joy is the word, the experience that describes the satisfaction and delight that God has within himself about himself. Joy is that word that literally describes how God feels within himself about himself. You say, well, well wow, that's a little arrogant. But why is this good? Why is it correct? Because, you see, God is the only one who can feel this way and who should feel this way because this is who he is. In fact, it would be wrong and a denial and untruthful for God to feel any other way or to deny that this is the way he is. So when the Bible talks about joy, the Bible is talking literally about how God feels within himself about himself. Joy is the experience within God Himself, remember, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that describes the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. God the Father loving the Son. Remember, in Luke 3.22, Jesus is going into the waters of baptism. And when He is baptized, you remember, the heavens open and the voice of God says, You are my agapitos, 
my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. You see the father's joy over his son. You just feel that great joy that God has. That pleasure, that contentment, that satisfaction that God has in his son. And that has always been, always has been, is and always will be. The feeling of God the Father toward the Son. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus loves the Father. Remember in John 14, 31, on the night that he was being betrayed, Jesus says this in, in a continuing word. He says, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I love the Father. How will they know that I love my Father? How will they know that my joy is to love my Father? I do exactly as God the Father commands me. How do we know we love God today? How do we know that we are experiencing the joy of God in us? Because it produces in us the fruit of obedience. It just flows out because it has to come out. Because it is the very issue and substance of joy. You remember Jesus went to the cross with joy. Remember what Hebrews 12, too. For the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of God the Father. The joy. What is the nature of this joy? What is the nature of joy? You see... It is God's joy in Jesus to share the joy that He has within Himself with us. For the joy that was set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. What is that joy? It is the joy that Jesus has over the joy that God has within Himself. To be shared with us, His people. Do you, do you, are you with me on this? Jesus' joy. In paying the price. So that the joy that God has within Himself may no longer be kept to Himself, but may be our joy. What a joy that is. There's so much more to say about this, but we don't have that kind of time. And what Jesus said in John 5, 11, 15, 11, he says, I've told you all of this stuff. These things I have spoken to you. Why? So that my joy, what joy? That joy that God has within himself about himself. So that my joy, the joy that as God the Son I have within Himself, and also the joy of being able to share the Godhead's joy within Himself with you, my joy may be in you so that your joy, my joy in you, may be made full. So we become literally partakers of and experiencing the very joy that God Himself has within Himself about Himself. This is the joy of God within us. 
Not just joy because I have a new job. Joy because circumstances have worked out. Joy because Katrina didn't blow my house away. It is a joy that transcends all of this and goes into the heavens forever because it is the joy of God Himself. That's the joy that God is talking about and the joy that God gives to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. How do we get this joy? Well, God's joy has come to us in the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is now the Spirit of God, the person of the Godhead, who has the incomparable joy, as Jesus had the incomparable joy of going to the cross. The Holy Spirit now has the incomparable joy of bringing the joy of God to us so that we will be sharers and partakers of the joy of God. And we have that joy in us because the joy of God Himself in the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit has Himself experienced and been a part of, now resides in us because the Spirit of God has been given to us. For the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, Romans 5, 5, by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the love of God, the joy of God within Himself has been poured out in our hearts. See, this is the joy that the Bible talks about. What does this joy do for us and in us. What does it accomplish? Well, besides, obviously, and most importantly, it accomplishes my ability to know God because I experience Him. It does at least two things in our lives that we desperately need. It protects us and it promotes. It protects and it promotes at least these two things. wouldn't say that they're no more than this, but at least fundamentally these two things. The joy of God does two things. It protects and it promotes. First, it protects us from giving in to sin. You notice I didn't say it protects us from being tempted because even Jesus, the man of joy, was tempted. But you see, it protects us within the context of our temptation from giving in to the issue of the temptation. Remember what Nehemiah says to his people in Nehemiah 8.10? He says, the joy of the Lord is our what? Come on, say it, church. Strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, how is that? When tempted, temptation is always an offer to us to go for something, some experience, that is not of God. Temptation is always the flesh's thought and desire and Satan's purpose to diminish in us the experience of God's joy and thereby an attempt to rob God of the expression of who He is 
in me and in you. Isn't that what temptation is? You see, just put a bowl of lovely chocolates in front of your husband. And then begin to take them away. Mm. Mm. You see, when tempted, and I want you to get this clearly this morning. Please listen carefully to what I'm going to say. When tempted, if, I say if because there is a chance that we won't, because temptation has the ability, if we're not careful, to overcome that if into a won't. When tempted, no matter what the temptation is, if we remember the greater experience of God's joy in us, remember what you're going to lose. Remember what you're going to lose. If we remember the greater pleasure of God's joy, we will resist sin. There's the key. Remember the greater joy of submitting to God than the temporary false delusional death-bringing, quote, false joy of giving in to sin, which when it hatches its ugly head out of this thing, begins to dissolve us morally inside. How many of us know that temptation to sin is a temptation to give us alternate pleasure or joy or happiness? Come on. How many of us know that? I mean, I have never been tempted to play with roaches. Never. Because I don't see any happiness or joy or contentment or meaning for letting roaches crawl around me. And I actually, they, there was a guy, some kind of film on TV the other day, something, and he was sticking. I turned that thing off fast when he stuck that roach in his mouth. No, no, really, there was a guy who eats roaches. You didn't, did some of you see that? Horrible. <laughs> you see, temptation never hits an area that has nothing to do with our pleasure or our joy. It always strikes the area which has to do with pleasure and joy or happiness or contentment or meaning in my life. It not only protects us from giving in to sinful temptations, it also promotes the transforming work of God in us. Now, you just tell some of your children that if they do a task, they're going to begin to get these things that they really, really want. All of a sudden, the task is going to be done with what? Exuberance and joy and i mean we out there cutting grass man we out there cutting grass when you see somebody like this out there cutting grass you know that either that boy is a boy who is really filled with the holy spirit and joy over his parents or they're bribing him with something he's out there cutting grass with a smile on his face and the game is on in there but he's cutting grass and you know if he's cutting grass during that game this guy has got to be getting a great what reward come on you know that you see 
the reward of joy, the greater experience of joy promotes my transformation because I want to go and do and be for that which I enjoy. Amen? It promotes transformation. Joy is very practical. The rest of the verse in Galatians 5.23 says this, Patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Now, think of those words, those seven words. One, two, three, four, five, six words. Think of those six words. How many of you, when you were filled with joy, were more patient in your driving? I'm the only one. Okay. How many of you filled with joy, were able to be more kind to someone, were able to be more self-controlled, were able to be more gentle. You see, joy is the context out of which all these other activities flow. If you're wondering, why am I so impatient? Because you need some joy, honey child. You need joy. Ask God to deal with your impatience, but also ask Him to do it by inflowing and flooding you with greater joy by the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the more of the joy of the Lord. Amen? You see, there's something about joy that is just going to do it. What is joy? It is God's own experience within Himself about Himself. To think that Jesus died so that we could be fellow partakers of how God feels about Himself. Isn't it amazing? How is joy matured? Simply this. Cooperate with its ability to protect and promote. Just cooperate. Not only is the gospel experienced in joy, but it is expressed in gratitude. One of the clearest demonstrations of the genuineness of joy is the response of gratitude. How many of you ever did get something real nice that you wanted and you were surprised to get it? And when you got it, you were just exploding in thankfulness. Amen? Amen? You know, one of the great difficulties of young people today and children is that they get so much let me please say to the church, do not inundate our children with so much. Because it just overwhelms them and disallows them to concentrate on the issues of what it is that they have received because they have such a vast array of 52 presents. But hopefully when your child receives something what do you often have to tell your child? What do you have to tell them often until they learn how to be appropriately responding? What do we normally say? What do we say? Say what? Say thank you. Tell him thank you. My wife has to encourage me. Did you write a thank you note? 
Gratitude is humility's joy-filled expression that recognizes our personal deficiency and need of God and others. You see, gratitude's difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult because of pride. I was raised in an atmosphere, if you excuse my French, that was stinky. It was a bad home, at least until I was 12. And we were finally taken by other relatives and sent away to military school to rescue us from the home life. And for years, and I still do, but for years, had all kinds of major issues in my life. But one of the outworkings of those issues was I had so protected and insulated myself from caustic atmospheres and belligerent behavior against us and insults and dangers and punishments that, you see, I didn't say thank you to nobody. It was a locked up thing in me. Gene can tell you, I've come a long way and I have a long way to go. You see, the pride that normally exists in us to admit we need someone outside of myself in my life was fanned through those years and developed and matured, if you would. So my tree of ungratefulness was rich with fruit of ungratefulness. But it's pride. See, humility begins to plow through it. So it's the joy-filled, overflowing expression of acknowledgement. See, because when you say thank you to someone for something or relationship or whatever it is, you are acknowledging your Connection in a need way, in a humbling way to that person. And that's so difficult for some of us anyway. Now, how we said gratitude is the expression of joy, how is it to be expressed? Well, at least in two ways, in words and deeds. Now, I don't know whether there's a third way, but maybe thoughts and whatever, but in words and deeds. You see, gratitude is a very kind of a pragmatic kind of a thing that we see and experience every day. It's to be expressed in words and in deeds. So let's talk about words of gratitude. We say thanks by saying what? Thanks. <laughs> That's not profound, is it? I mean, we say thanks by saying what? Thanks. Gary Ricucci, one of the pastors at Help me say it again. Covenant Life up there in Maryland has said this, that gratitude not expressed is not gratitude. I didn't like hearing that. I, had to, I didn't like that. See, gratitude not expressed is not gratitude. Oh, I'm grateful, but I'm, I, I just can't bring myself to say so. I feel grateful, but I, 
the words don't come easy, so I just don't say it. Gratitude not expressed is not gratitude. I want to make a public declaration of my gratitude to my wife. Thank you, my sweetheart, for always being there for me and caring for me. If it's not expressed, it's not gratitude. And Gene would tell you, I don't do enough of this. I'm woefully insufficient in this area. Wives, help your husbands. Don't browbeat them. Yeah, you see what he did. You don't ever do that to me. <laughs> oh, boy, what a, what a desire to be great, grateful to someone like that. <laughs> Come on. Wives, encourage it and draw it out of us. Encourage it and draw it out of us. I'm grateful for this this girl, Jean Clement, that he gave to Peter Davidson years ago. Philippians 1.3, look at that verse. You see, Paul was not a man who was shy in expressing gratitude. His life was a, an overflow of gratitude because of the joy that God had placed in him. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.3, Paul says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I'm thankful for you, he said. We have said this as a leadership team, and I don't believe we've said it enough. I don't know whether you can say it enough, and perhaps you can, and it becomes obsequious, but, but hopefully we can say it sufficiently and appropriately. And it is true. This is true. All of us thank our God for every remembrance of all of you. I don't care how difficult or easy it is or has been to walk with you in anything. We are thankful to God for you. We are thankful to God for you individually, for this church collectively. It is a great joy to serve God by serving you. Jesus was grateful to God. Remember the day that he was raising Lazarus from the dead? Jesus walks into the tomb and he says, remove the stone. And they try to tell him, he's stinking, remove the stone. And then Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. And I say this not for my benefit, so that they will know. That they will know. You see, gratitude is our way of saying great things about God. If you want to be a greater evangelist, be a greater thankful person. Paul expresses his gratitude to those who were ministering with him. Listen to these words. Philippians chapter 2. You might want to turn there. Philippians 2, 19-30. I don't know if I'll read the whole section. But at least the first few verses. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. See, he's 
grateful for having Timothy with him. And then in verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker. Paul's gratitude for the work of God and for the ministry of others flows out of him as he presents the opportunity for these other men to be sharing in the gospel and is sending these men into the churches to preach and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's gratitude that you see in these words of Paul. You know, saying gratitude is a rejoicing. To rejoice means to be thankful for. Listen to these words of Paul in Philippians alone. I think there are, I've forgotten how many, eight or nine references to rejoice. It's, it's the heart's expression of thanks to God. He says, in this I rejoice. What does rejoice mean? I give thanks. Yes, and I will rejoice. In Philippians 2.17, he said, I rejoice. In 2.18, he says, you too, I urge you, rejoice. You see, there is the unlocking of the gospel through gratitude. Unlocking the gospel in a further way in my heart and unlocking the opportunity for the gospel to be heard and experienced in the hearts of others through our gratitude. 2.28, when you see him again, you may rejoice. 3.1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. And 4.10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Who was the one who was known the most for rejoicing and praising God? Who, Phil? Now this is a test for you, Phil, because you are Mr. Psalms. Who was the one? David, the great king of Israel. 166 uses of the word praise in the Psalms. In fact, if you want a good example, just read Psalm 150. Every verse, praise, praise, praise. What does praise mean? It means to boast, to celebrate, to commend. It is an, a word of gratitude. You see, gratitude is not always just saying, thank you. It is a, an expression of the joy of God in me through various types of words and also various types of deeds. Listen to these words from David. You may want to turn to Psalm 63. They're good. And David tells you why he is such a thankful man. Why is David so thankful? Why is there gratitude oozing from his pores? What has caused this? I mean, when you look at the circumstances of David's life, and in fact, if you read the Psalms, make sure you read the basis of the Psalm. He was hounded by Saul. He was in a cave. He has a great illness and his enemies are trying to destroy him. Absalom is doing this. This tragedy here. He's just been caught in a sin with Bathsheba. I mean, David, in many of the Psalms, not all, is in a bad place. Yeah, well, I could praise God too if I were king and had all that money. <laughs> David started praising God when he was wrestling animals out on the hillside. Well, you mean to tell me I can praise God by wrestling? Yes! 
Because the praise of God on the lips of a holy, godly person destroys the work and the ability of Satan to overcome you. Be praising of God. Remember the army that went out and the choir went first. And the enemy was destroyed by the Holy Spirit as the praise of God came against the enemy. The gratitude of the people of God in worshiping God, in giving Him the honor that is due His name, and in his, their lips giving praise to God through their words. David says this in Psalm 63, 3-5. Because of your loving kindness, your said, because your loving kindness is better than life. Loving kindness is that word of God's graceful act. Grace-filled activity experience in David's life. David is able to express gratitude, is able to know God, is able to worship God, is able to do anything and everything from God because he has first and primarily and continues to experience the joy of God's presence in his life and the good of God in him which causes the outflow of the gratitude. Because of your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Remember, we used to sing that. Thy loving kindness is greater than life. Remember that? Thy loving kindness is greater than life. My lips will praise you. Thus will I bless you. I will lift up my hands in your name. Man, Matt better stand back. He is going to be replaced. <laughs> He says, so I will bless you as long as I live. Bless means to eulogize. It means to praise, to brag upon, to give thanks that way. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with lips of joyful lips. Deeds of gratitude. All oh, the deeds. I'll just highlight one right now. Turn to Luke 19. Luke 19. Deeds of gratitude. You see, gratitude is not only expressed in words, but it must also be expressed in deeds. Because if they're only words, then the words aren't genuine. If they're only deeds, then the deeds aren't genuine. Gratitude is expressed in words and deeds. The word and is a coordinate conjunction joining two things that are equal in context. Deeds and words, words and deeds, these two are different sides of the same coin. Verses 8 and 9, you remember this little man, Zacchaeus? This guy was, he was a tax collector, he was a thief. He worked for the Internal Revenue Service of Israel. I did not say that IRS people are thieves. Came close to it, but I didn't say that. <laughs> He was putting a little change in his pocket. That, that, that was okay in those days. That's how he made his money, you know, 50%. Okay, now 40% for me and 10% for C. I mean, whatever. He was robbing the people, which we all have done and we continue to do in sin. We rob God. And Jesus came by and Zacchaeus up in this sycamore tree and Jesus says, Come on down, Zac." I'm having lunch with you today. The joy of God's presence is entering into the very life and being of Zacchaeus. And what is the result? 
How is Zacchaeus' gratitude expressed? How do you know Zacchaeus is a changed man? Listen to it. Verse 8 and 9. Zacchaeus stopped and said, Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to his house. And how do I know it? Because gratitude is flowing out of this man. The gratitude that Jesus recognized as godly gratitude. Gratitude toward God and because of God and for God. So Jesus said he saved. This man is in the kingdom of heaven today and will be in heaven with us. How can we express gratitude in our church? You know, there are opportunities overflowing in this church to express gratitude. Children's ministries. I mean, one of the most grateful people in this church is Uncle Ray. Is Uncle Ray and Aunt Linda. You can't sit with Ray Pratt's more than four seconds. And the guy begins to bubble forth in joyful gratitude. I don't like sitting with me because I don't get much of a chance to talk. And that's desperate for me. That's the way I breathe through words. The guy is a walking thanks. Children's ministries, when you're grateful to God, serve the needs of the church. Serve Him. Mercy ministries, we heard about Operation Replant. Oh, the gratitude of God working in our lives and replanting us. And we go out there and we begin to replant the replanted. Denise Thornton, who was a person who's pretty strongly directed and, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, you know, one of these kind of people. Remember the team went out there that Tuesday morning and we did all that work and the house next to hers wasn't scheduled, but we went ahead. We were ahead of schedule. We'd done a whole lot of stuff that she had asked. So we concentrating on the house right next door to hers, which is in shambles. The yard looks like a mess. You know what it looked like. I mean, we out there cutting grass and pulling weeds and meticulous mat. Anybody wants a gardener, use Matt Mason. I mean, this guy, this guy is in the mud pulling out things. I mean, he is doing a great job. Denise comes out of her house, looks over here, and sees the work and starts crying. The gospel expressed in the gratitude of God's people Rescuing us, not from Katrina, but from sin's death. Giving us the opportunity to reciprocate unto God through serving the needs of others. Gratitude. The power of the gospel. Sunday and Saturday services, all kinds of opportunities to serve. Covenant group service. Personal contacts with those who need. I mean, you know, you could go on and on and on. You see, gratitude is God's will for us. It is key in our sanctification. It's key. What is the result of it? The result of gratitude is this. Primarily, this is the result. This is the major issue and result of gratitude. 
God is worshipped, he's honored. He is acknowledged and shown to be great. What does gratitude show about God? It shows the joy that he has within himself about himself through our gratitude. The lack of gratitude shows that there is a possible lack in God, and we know that not to be the truth. That's what people will think. In fact, the very foundation of worship must be gratitude. You cannot come to worship God without having a grateful heart. It won't happen. Secondly, we are matured. We are matured through various issues and means, but gratitude is one of the most fundamental and basic means through which God matures us. It is just a pride-tearing-down thing. Others are saved. I mean, a lady like Denise Thornton is going to come into the kingdom of God by God's grace and power, we hope, and we are anticipating that. Why? Because of other various issues, but so much because of the gratitude of Lakeview Christian Center as we have flooded that area with service. She even said at the, 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 uh, the groundbreaking, I may become a member of your church. Prophecy. In Philippians, in this very short letter, we have learned that the gospel is to be central in everything. And to the extent that the gospel is central in everything, the character of humility is being developed. The gospel is being experienced in joy, and it is being expressed through gratitude. I want you to turn to one more verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Well, actually, let's look at 14 and 15. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. The apostle says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. See, You see, to the extent of joy in your heart, you're not going to grumble or dispute. Now, that gets me because Gene knows I'm a grumbler. I don't ever create disputings, but... <laughs> Linda, you have a back pain or something? You need some help? That groan was Linda L., everybody, if you want to talk to her later. <laughs> Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Listen, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. How are we appearing as lights in the world? Only as the gospel is central. Only as humility is being developed, only as joy is being experienced and gratitude is being expressed, will we be the light of who God is and what he will do in this world. Well, let me ask Eric if he would... Come join me up here, looking for him, trusting he's still here. Oh, hello, Eric. You sit so far back, dude, you're going to have to run a little faster. I do not want us to exit this meeting without...
seeking adjustment in this category and receiving grace from God so that that can happen. Can we allow the Lord to prompt eagerness in this category? There's not, and this is why, there's not a worse advertisement for Christianity than Christians who lack joy. If you don't have joy, you really don't have anything to give away, do you? Are you going to stand up and tell people about a product that doesn't work? Are you going to try and sell to people who know your life, right? These are usually you witness to people who know you. You don't just if you stand out on the street corner and put on a smile for 30 minutes and tell people about Christ, you can pull that off. But live with people, live with your family, which is the greatest evangelistic field that we come in contact with on a daily basis. Live with your relatives, get around them, and lack joy, and then try and give the gospel away. It's, I don't know, it's like disconnecting the cable and looking at the snow and say, ooh, did you see the touchdown? Woo! Ain't nobody seeing anything. The message doesn't have any power to it. So this morning, I want the Holy Spirit to to get personal with you for a moment. So let's let's all of us stand together and allow the Lord to ask you this question. I I know this is my question, but it really needs to be the, the Lord's question to you. In your own experience, where you've been walking, do you lack joy? Are you here this morning? A person who believes in the work of Christ, in the person of Christ, you believe that you belong to God, you believe that you will spend forever in heaven with Him. But your experience of walking out life on this earth as of recent, and perhaps over a long season of your life, it lacks joy. You can't seem to rise above something. You can't seem to be tasting something that's putting a smile, a sense of pleasure, a a knowing of happiness that Peter described. Listen, if if the joy thing is broken in your life, it needs to get fixed. And, you know, quite honestly, if, if you're lacking joy, I think if you're here this morning, unless you, and listen, I'm going to say this, and I know that this is true for some, unless you love misery, and which, by the way, some people do, unless you love misery, you'd want to get joy fixed in your life, wouldn't you? If we could, you know, have a joy station up here and just come on, come on, I'm going to fill you up with joy, stick the little thing in there and fill you up with joy, I'm pretty sure you'd be... You'd be good to go with that. So if you're here this morning, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you to respond this morning. If you're here and you're lacking joy in your life, I want you to come out from where you are. I want you to come stand across the front. And I want you to do business with God. I want you to listen. I want you to open your heart. I want you to be honest. I want you to be unsatisfied where you are right now. 
want you to be insistent that it don't it doesn't stay this way any longer. Somehow we can get into these seasons of lacking joy, and you know it just kind of gets okay with us. Everybody remember this about Christianity. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own any longer. The owner of that thing you're walking around in, your life, the owner has purchased you for the purpose of expressing joy through you. If you're lacking joy, it's not all right with the owner that you continue to do that one day longer. You don't have permission to not be happy. <laughs> Strange thought. But you don't. And if you've made friends with it, if you've not responded by now, and you still need to respond, can I urge you one more time? If, if you have embraced misery as okay, and some people do that, can I, can I make this ugly for you? You're making other people around you miserable too. Not only are you embracing misery, but you're selfish to boot. Because you could have joy, and you refuse to have it. And the people around you have to walk with you in that setting. So perhaps first you'll need to repent of selfishness so that you can come up. And you know what? I understand this. I've walked with enough people and I've experienced this in my own life. Some of us would rather be miserable than put ourselves on the line for having joy. See, because if I just buy into miserable, I don't have to be responsible anymore. See, I don't have to get up in the morning and actually get victory over my circumstances. I don't have to do that. <clears throat> I don't have to get up and put anything on. I don't have to wrestle. I just have to get up in the morning and admit, life's just hard. It's miserable. And I just buy into that and I get to stay right where I am. Misery is best friends with laziness. But listen, don't stay there. The statement it makes about your God is worth you getting out of your chair. The effect it's having on the people in your life is worth it getting out of your chair. So if you're, if you're lacking joy this morning, come out from where you are. Come up here and say, God, I need something from you today. Something's got to change. Now let me ask a, a tough question to those that are standing up here. Any of us who are confessing a lack of joy. Now the question is, why? Why do you lack joy? Now you need to ask that question of yourself. And you need to ask it in a way that you insist on getting an answer from yourself. Do not take I don't know for an answer. Because if you keep asking yourself the question, you do know. I don't know is a good way of saying I don't want to deal with this. Why do you lack joy? Generically speaking, a lack of joy for a Christian is self-inflicted. You lack joy, or any of us, and I, I've been there, because you want the wrong thing, and you can't seem to get it. Now, whatever you got to fill in the blank in that spot, that's why. Why do you lack joy today? Because you want something that you can't seem to get. You don't want what God has freely made available. You want what you can't seem to get. And therefore, I'm not happy. Let the Lord begin to show you what that is right now. What is in your heart that you want so bad that you have kind of made up your mind that until I get that, I'm not going to be happy?
What is that? What are you craving in your heart that in the absence of getting it, everything else around you is becoming a source of irritation, displeased, marriage isn't what you wished it was, friendships aren't what you wished it was, you're not making enough money, you just don't like a lot of things about your life. Well, is it because you want something really bad in your life? James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You just, we can walk around being a ball of displeasure. Because I can't seem to have what I so much want. Okay, question. Do you want the wrong thing in your life? Jesus says, I came that they may have joy and have it abundantly. He didn't say you could have everything you want. He said that he came, and if you want me, then you can have joy. So joy is within your grasp this morning. The only way that you can not obtain joy and let it begin to work in your life is to say, I don't want you though, Lord. I want that. I want that more than I want you. And yeah, I appreciate the offer of you, but you see, I don't I don't want you that way. I want that over there. That's what I'm really after in my heart. And if I can't have it, I'm mad as a hornet. But if you won't let go of that, put it down. This morning that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Put it down. Leave it here. And open your heart and say, Lord, I want you. That's what I want. I want you and everything you have for me. I want you and the life you want to give me. That's what I want. And you begin to tell the Lord that. You begin to have a conversation with him right now. You be honest with him. Tell him, what is it that you've been wanting? Say it to him. Be honest with him. Respond to the Spirit putting his fingers on those issues, on those cravings and desires that have been a source of frustration or anger, discontent. Bitter tears have flowed from your face because you can't seem to have what in your heart has become so important. As Peter said, that tempting thing that becomes so important. Lord, this morning as we close and we sing together, Lord, I pray the Spirit of God would be in this place right now. Spirit, come with the the clanging sound of keys in your hands as you reach down in love, in firmness, and you unlock shackles that have been in these lives right here. Lord, you never intended for us to live outside of the grasp of joy. Lord, you came for that purpose. It was part of what you were here to accomplish. The renovation of our hearts with their allegiances to selfish and temporary pleasures. To give us joy that this world can never take away. And Lord, I understand this world to include ourselves and others. These physical bodies and temporary circumstances, money, all those things contained in this world are never supposed to be able to take away joy 
that you have given to us. So this morning, would you unlock the secret weapon that has been in our hearts, that has kept joy out of reach? Lord, would you allow us to put an accurate face on this issue, that we have said no to you. Lord, we have said you are not enough. Your intentions in our lives are not enough. Your plan is not enough. Your reward is not enough. Your promises for the future are not enough. I want this instead. Lord, this morning, dislodge those items from our lives. Lord, right here, as these guys stand and they've come, Lord, with honest, open hearts to ask for your grace. Lord, in a very real way, would you remove those things and would you replace them, fill them up with the revelation of you that brings joy. Lord, joy is not unattached. It is attached to you. It is attached to your promises. It is attached to your faithfulness. It's attached to your sovereignty. It's attached to your character. It's attached to your love and the sweetness of who you are. God, would you come this morning Holy Spirit, and fill these lives with a fresh sense of who you are. And Lord, as we sing now, Holy Spirit, communicate yourself to these guys that they might receive and taste again the joy you intended them to have. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend Agonies of Calvary You the perfect Holy One Crushed your Son You drank the bitter cup Reserved for me Your blood Has washed away my sin Jesus thank you The Father's wrath Satisfied, Jesus begging. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus
folks to come partner with these guys. If husbands and wives are up here together, if you guys would find each other, if husbands and wives are separated, if you'd come up, find your spouse. If you have a family member here that you're walking with, if you'd come find them. If uh, you see someone that you're in a covenant group with uh, that doesn't have someone standing with them, if you'd come find them and stand with them. And here's, here's what I'd like for those of you who have been up here praying. I want you to tell the person who's coming to stand with you what is the issue, the craving, the desire, the thing that you want that has been standing in the way of your joy. Does that make sense? I want you to tell the person who's with you what it is. Identify it with them so that in days ahead, what you can do and what they can do faithfully is to walk with you and, and ask, how are you doing in wanting that? You're wanting it too much. Listen, as John Calvin said, usually the issues of idolatry in our hearts are not that we want the wrong things, but that usually the things that we want, we simply want them too much. And if you've been a believer for very long, you probably are wanting something that's pretty decent to have. But you may be wanting it at a level that's just unhealthy. It's way too much you want this, and you've become dependent on it. And so confess that issue. What is it that I want? I I have been wanting this and I've been so upset that I haven't been able to get it. I'm so disappointed. I'm so afraid. I'm afraid this is never going to change. I'm afraid I'm going to be stuck in this position or in this situation or this relationship. Be able to share that and make a decision about leaving it here. It's in the way of your joy. Get help from those around you to follow up with you. The temptation will be two days from now for you to pick it back up again and make it important and promote it again. You're familiar with it being there. You'll be tempting to do it again. So confession helps you to avoid that temptation and follow up from those you're confessing with will help you to follow up with that as well. Let's close with this song. As you guys share that, we're going to sing. And as you get released from sharing that with those around you, you join us in singing this song.
Lord, you're calling. Lord, you're calling me to come and behold the wondrous cross to explore the depths of grace that came to me at such a cost. Where your boundless love conquered my boundless sin and mercy's arms were open wide. Yes, they were. My heart is filled with a thousand songs proclaiming the glories of Calvary. Look every breath, Lord, how I long to sing of Jesus who died. My heart, my heart is filled with a thousand stars, proclaiming the glories of Calvary. With every breath, Lord, how I long to sing of Jesus who died for me. Lord, take me deeper into the glories of Calvary. Second verse, sinners find, sinners find eternal joy in the triumph of your wounds. By our Savior's crimson flow, holy wrath has been removed. Where your saints below, join with your saints above. Rejoicing in the risen Lamb. Glories of Calvary with every breath, Lord, how I long to sing of Jesus who died for me. My heart is filled with a thousand songs. Glories of Calvary every breath, Lord, how I long to sing of Jesus who died. 